Well, God, we, we invite you um, to continue to invade this space. And so you've already, you've already started uh, to work and to speak and to touch people's hearts. And we ask that you would continue to do that, that you would speak um, clearly, that you'd be patient with us this morning, but also that you would um, inspire us and challenge us. And so we ask, Lord, that you would um, involve us this morning in the movement of your kingdom. And so invite us again. And we pray in Christ's name, amen. We're in a series where we've been looking at our church values, our core values, or family values. And this week is the third week, so I'm going to be hitting the last two of our family values. If you've uh, been watching the pattern, the first two were, were really about our up relationship. So they were about uh, all of life is worship and about hearing and doing, so hearing from God and obeying. Uh, the next week was really about an outward presence or an outward movement of our church, which is love and action, and of um, being missionaries, that we are all missionaries. This week is this inward conversation, the values that really focus on how, how will we treat each other as we're on the journey together. And so um, I'm excited because it's something that I value, and so <laughs> it was easy to to talk about it, but I, but I do feel um, that this is an important message for us specifically uh, for this church in this season of this church, if that makes sense. And so um, my, my prayer is that as you hear, um, as you consider what I put forward, that you would have a sense of what God is saying to you individually, and that you recognize that what, whatever God is saying to you individually has an impact on all of us, that, that we're interconnected, that we're not isolated individuals who are trying to follow Jesus on our own, but that we're actually together in this journey. And I think to the degree that we try to separate ourselves from others, or we try to separate others from ourselves, uh, to the degree that we do that, we are actually giving power to the enemy who wants to separate us and wants us to live in deception, thinking that we're on this alone. Okay, so my prayer is that God would speak to us, that it would be easy, it would be easy for you to walk out today and say, oh, I know, I know what God's saying to me. And so uh, as we go together, I trust that God is going to attend to us. So, my mom, <clears throat> my mom has a phrase that she says all the time. It's kind of like her mantra. Uh, it'll be in every text message leading up to a visit. It'll be in every text message following that visit. It'll be in every conversation while she's here on a visit, planning the next visit. And the word is together. She'll say, oh, this dinner was so good, but the best part was being together, right? Or 
that vacation, oh, it, it was wonderful, but the best part was being together. And then you would maybe recount some things that didn't go well, right? And you might say, yeah, the best part about that was being together because everything else seemed to fall apart. But for her, she's always putting this in front of us, that togetherness is the most important thing. And today's talk really is the same thing. It's about being together. And it's about the fact that we believe that life is better together when we share these two values. And the values are that every person matters and the value of authentic community. We'll start with every person matters. And so if you would read this with me, this is our value. Each person is created in the image of God, entrusted with creative and spiritual gifts. We are each called upon to make a unique and humble contribution in the body of Christ. So we each bear God's fingerprint. It's super important for us to remember that. Each one of us, even though it may look different or they may express it differently, or their history to this point looks different than yours, we each bear God's fingerprint. We're all image bearers of God. We're all the Imago Dei. We're each uniquely gifted and crafted to contain a peace that when together will blossom the whole. We're all called upon to participate and to contribute in the body of Christ. This is what it means when we say every person matters. This week in my first 15 reading, there was a portion that jumped out and I wanted to share it with you this morning. And so hear, hear these words over you. And if you're distracted, close your eyes and hear these words. You and I were created to make a unique impact that no one else can make. We've each been given a destiny of good works, and they're incredibly important, and they're wholly unique to us. No one else can touch the people in your life like you can. God created you for a unique purpose that is solely yours. And here's the good news. God is ready today to equip you and to empower you. I read that and it kind of stirred my heart. It stirred me because I feel like I'm aware of the areas that I need equipping. And I feel like I'm aware of the areas that I need empowering. But the vision that God gave me as I reflected was not about me. It was about us. And it was about God's invitation for us to reach and to ask for this, that God would equip us and empower us to live into the destiny that God has for us as a people. The Apostle Paul said it this way to the Ephesians, he said, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand 
that we should walk in them. You are the workmanship of the master craftsman. I'm going to speak against some lies. You are the workmanship of a master craftsman. You are the creation of the almighty creator of all. God has made you for such a time as this. You are not a mistake. You're not a mistake. You're not a by chance. You're not a by accident. You are not less than others around you. Your calling and God's anointing on you carries no less weight or importance in the kingdom of God than anyone else's. Your calling and the anointing that God has placed on your life carries no less weight, no less importance in the kingdom of God than anyone else's. Every person matters. And that includes you, and that includes me. Every person matters to Genesis because every person matters to Christ. And Christ is the standard by which we are trying to follow. And here's the cool thing. In, in the mix of togetherness, when we gather together, God has wired us each to make contributions that benefit or flourish or blossom the whole. Paul writing to the church in Ephesus said, and God gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. This is a packed statement, and it's heavy, and it's powerful. But all of the work in this is done by God. That God gathers us, God equips us, God empowers us. God builds up the body. As a result of that, we experience unity. We experience faith. And as a body together, we move in maturity to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. When we gather together and we contribute, the full body of Christ is built up and we move together toward unity and we move together towards maturity. And sure, we do it bumping into each other along the way, right? And offending each other and misunderstanding each other. But that's okay, because that just smooths out all of our rough edges, right? We're each called to make a humble contribution in the body of Christ, 
When one of us steps in, it moves all of us towards this fullness of Christ. Every person matters because we are incomplete as a body without each other. We're incomplete. And the best part of living this value, as my mom would say, is being together. The other Genesis value that highlights how we practice or how we will treat each other on this journey of following Jesus is called authentic community. So let's read this together. We seek to be a people that God might dwell among, open, honest, accepting, welcoming, and non-judgmental. We recognize that we are better together than apart. That's a strong statement. And did you see my mom's word in there? Together. We're better together. We're better together than apart. This church has been being challenged on this statement for a number of years. Do we actually believe that we are better together than apart? I would dare say, at times, it would be easier to not be together. It would be easier to be apart. There would be less tension to not be together. There would be less hard conversations where you have to look each other in the eye by not being together. There would be less sit-downs around a table where people are owning the hurts that they've done and asking for reconciliation. There would be less of that if we were apart. What the text says is when we engage in those things, when we engage in those things, we are a people that God wants to dwell among. That's an amazing, amazing statement. God is looking for those to dwell among. And he's looking for those who are sharing his heart. And we say that that looks like authentic community. Now, as a society, we do not celebrate authenticity. Agreed? There are like three of you. As a society, we do not celebrate authenticity. Agreed? Agreed. We celebrate excellence, or at least whatever the standard of excellence is for that season, right? Because body shape excellence changes with every generation, and fashion excellence changes with every season. Most recently, this has been an observation that I've been considering. Um, some, some sociological, anthropological work done by a gentleman named Bill Maurer. Um, and he put forward this idea that, that ultimately we have created avatars. So we've created social media personas. And that these personas 
are technological icons of ourselves. They represent ourselves. They do not reflect the truth of ourselves. Now, most people don't know that Bill Maher is a prophet, right? <laughs> he just doesn't know it yet. But an avatar, by definition, is this. It's an electronic image that represents and may be manipulated by a computer user. That's an avatar. Avatars are the public versions of ourselves that we want people to think are the real us. Avatars are the public versions of ourselves that we want people to think are the real us. So think of this as a social media persona reflecting what we want others to think. Avatars don't have meltdowns on their kids on Facebook. Avatars don't post pictures of their balding heads on Instagram. Avatars don't screenshot the lonely eating that they do after midnight. Avatars don't check in at the bar that they didn't really want to go to but felt compelled to because they couldn't sleep without having one more drink. Avatars don't post their lack of faith on their church Facebook page. No, avatars are the fun, chipper, put-together versions of ourselves that we put out to try and tell people what we want them to think about us. Avatars are icons, and they represent, but ultimately, they are fake. There's a book that came out called Everybody Lies. It's a study of big data. It's about what we search for on Google. So from the data, they found this. On Facebook, women's top terms for describing their husbands are the best, my best friend, and amazing, right? We would expect none less. <laughs> but when you type in my husband is on Google, those are not the results that you get. <laughs> Top three results on Google. My husband is mean, the number one. That's the number one search statement about my husband is. My husband is mean. Number two, my husband is annoying. We expected that, right? <laughs> and number three, my husband is gay. My husband is gay. The third top searched statement about husbands on Google. I'm using this to highlight 
There is a massive disconnect between what we put forward to others and what we are actually bearing inside. There's a massive disconnect. And the problem is this. We believe that we are better together than apart. But if we're using avatars, if our avatars are leaving social media and are actually who we show up to these settings as, we're in trouble. And as long as we're willing to use our avatars, it will prohibit us from really ever being known. And the problem with not ever fully being known is this. You will never know that you are ever fully loved. If you are never fully known, you will never know that you are fully loved. So my question would be, do you have anyone in your life that you're fully known to? Do you have anyone? As long as we give in to the thinking, if they ever found this out about me, they wouldn't love me, we're using avatars. If we buy into the game of hiding behind these avatars, putting the nicer version of us forward, or putting the cleaner or the more cleaned up version of us forward, we'll never fully experience what it is to be fully known. And we will silently die inside. And this isn't a new observation. Thoreau wrote about this. The famous statement, the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. What is called resignation is confirmed desperation. And so, it is a value of Genesis to refuse our avatars to refuse our avatars, to pursue authentic community. This is dangerous. This is risky. But I want to experience the fullness of being loved. And I want you to experience the fullness of being loved. So refusing your avatar means not hiding when you're in a funk but instead letting someone know that you're broken and you're needy. Refusing your avatar means you don't stay in your car to stop crying before you come into the service. You just come in, just like you are, wrecked, vulnerable. 
Refusing your avatar means having difficult conversations about hurts that you've experienced and the anger that you carry. Refusing your avatar means being open, honest, accepting, welcoming, and non-judgmental toward others that are learning what it is to refuse their own avatar. Non-judgmental towards those who are learning what it is to refuse their own avatar. That's a space of grace. Writing to the Colossians, Paul gave us this awesome encouragement. He says, so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. This is one of the best ways that we can practice authentic, authentic community is to join a small group. It is one of the best ways. Why? Because you will rub shoulders with people that are not like you. You may rub shoulders with people that don't like you. <laughs> you certainly will rub shoulders with people that you don't like, right? <laughs> it's the best place. It's the best place. Because we get to practice bearing with one another, and we get to practice putting on love. If you aren't in a small group, I want to encourage you this fall to sign up because we're going to do a church-wide initiative that will start October 14th, and it will run for six weeks, and small groups are the focus. So put that in your mind. So Eugene Peterson, who knows who Eugene Peterson is? Okay. Eugene Peterson wrote the Bible. Well, he wrote a Bible. He wrote a Bible called the Message Bible. And what's so awesome about the Message Bible is that Eugene Peterson is a pastor, and he translated the Message Bible because he felt like his church did not understand the Bible, and that when he would talk to them about the Bible, they couldn't connect to it. So he translated the Message Bible, which if anyone is just wanting to start reading the Bible, I would encourage picking up the Message um, translation. But Eugene Peterson was on, on Being with Krista Tippett, and he said a couple things that I thought would be the perfect way to tie these two values together in my conclusion. So Eugene Peterson said this. He said, we go to a small church. When I was a pastor of a congregation, people would leave, which I thought was funny. People would leave and say, how do I pick a church? And my usual answer 
was go to the closest church where you live and the smallest. And if after six months it's just not working, go to the next smallest. At which point he laughs in the interview. Because this is a tongue-in-cheek statement. And so Krista Tippett says, okay, so what is it about small rather than big? And Eugene Peterson says this, because you have to deal with people as they are, and you've got to learn how to love them when they're not lovable. You've got to learn how to love them when they're not lovable. His encouragement was that after six months, if you don't like the people in the church that you're at, because you haven't learned to love them when they're not lovable, leave that church and go to a different church. And as a pastor, um, looking at it from the back side, this is a hilarious conversation. Because the people who are leaving his church are asking him, how do I pick a church to go to? Do you find the humor? Do you see the humor in that? And so then he redirects them to the smallest, closest to their house church where they'll have to run into those people all the time and they will be forced to learn to love those that they see as being unlovable. I thought it was brilliant. I was, I was so happy to share that with you this morning. So, <laughs> uh, so I know there's so many obstacles to being together, and it is risky. But to be fully known while also being fully loved is life-changing. To be fully known while also being fully loved is life-changing. And we believe that we are better together than apart. And it's really about covenant. It's about covenanting together. Like in a marriage, there's intimacy and vulnerability and tension and disagreement and community and celebration and graciousness and anger and forgiveness and beauty, and mourning. We covenant together that we are going together. And that both of these values today are really about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if it's not clear, let me clarify. These values today are anchored in agreeing with the power of the cross of Jesus. And what I mean is this, that in the cross, Jesus places intrinsic and unimaginable value on all of humanity. Jesus places intrinsic and unimaginable value on all of humanity so much that Jesus' blood was shed to make right all that is wrong in the world. So we can be reconciled to God and we can also be reconciled to one another. 
in our full humanity, in our brokenness, in our ugliness, in our not put togetherness, Jesus places absolute value upon us. And this is good news. In Romans 5, Paul says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. And that's me. Verse 8, it says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, we will cer- he, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. This is good news. Verse 10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. This is good news. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. This is good news. We can rejoice. And so this morning, I wanted us to rejoice. So I'll invite the band to come up. I wanted us to rejoice that we are friends of God. I wanted us to rejoice that when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us as sinners. I wanted us to rejoice that because of Christ, we have been made right in God's sight. And because of Christ, we can have reconciled relationships to one another and to God. And so what better way for us to rejoice in the power of the cross and the reconciling power it has to bring us together than for us to celebrate in communion. And so this morning we're gonna take communion and the band is gonna sing and lead us in a song and as they're playing and as you come forward to take the gluten-free wafer and the juice, there's two stations here, there's one in the back. What I want us to do is to to make a huge circle in here. It may be more of an ellipse, that's okay. I want us to make a huge circle in here. Don't take your communion, we're gonna take it together. And we're gonna take it looking in the faces of each other, the beloved of God. And so let me pray, we'll take, we'll come forward, we'll grab our communion, we'll make a large circle, the band will lead us. When you find your spot, look at the words, sing them. It's a wonderful song. But then we'll take our communion together, looking each other eye to eye. Let's rejoice. So Lord, we, we pause even now and we say thank you. We thank you for Jesus, we thank you for the work that you have done to restore us to you and to each other, a work that we could not have done. And so you're in your body that was broken, in your blood that was spilled for us. May we rejoice and may we find a communal celebration together in this time. And we give you praise and honor in Christ's name. Amen. Come forward and receive your communion and make a circle.